You know that we are in Haggai this morning. What you may not know is that the word Haggai means festal or festival, relating to the festival of the worship of God, the the festivities around the Sabbath and the worship of God, which was to characterize the people of God as they came to the temple, or in this case, uh, the synagogue, while they awaited the construction of a temple. And it's an appropriate name for Haggai, because Haggai is used by God to call the people of God to return and rebuild the temple, the place where the worship was to take place, the festivities of worship were to take place. Solomon's temple had been destroyed in 586 B.C. by the Babylonians who had, beginning in 609, begun a program of exporting the people of Jerusalem out of Jerusalem and into enemy territory. But in 539 B.C., the king of Persia, Cyrus, conquers Babylon and in 538 issues a decree allowing people to return to their native land. In Ezra chapter 2, we learn that the first wave of Israelites to return to Jerusalem was 42,360 people strong, along with 7,337 servants. Now, 20 years later, in 520 B.C., Haggai preaches four short sermons, beginning on August the 29th. It's dated to the reign of Darius, so we actually know the the day in which he preaches. Uh, I suspect uh, after however many years the Lord allows me to serve him as a preacher, there will probably be no one this many years later who says Daniel preached this sermon on this day, but we can say with confidence this morning on August the 29th, 520 B.C., Haggai began to preach. Then on October the 17th, 520 B.C., he preached again, and on December the 18th, he was extra charged up and he preached two sermons, one to the priests and then one to Zerubbabel. Uh, On December the 18th of 520 B.C., he preached those two sermons. Five times in Haggai, we read these words, consider or consider your ways. To consider your ways means to give careful thought to something. Literally, to set your heart on your ways. It's an interesting thought, isn't it? To set your heart on your heart. To to think about what it is that motivates and characterizes your heart. Haggai, you see, was a prophet on a solitary mission. He had one goal, to stir the post-exilic people of God, the people who had been brought out of exile, to action in rebuilding the Jewish temple. But they would not build the temple until they considered their ways until they set their heart on their heart and considered why it is that the temple had not yet been rebuilt. I believe this morning we see some critical ways in which we also need to be like those post-exilic people of God. You see, we too are those whom God has brought out of exile. The exile of sin. The exile of selfishness and pride and anxiety and all the things that the world wants us to to be trapped by. God has brought us out of exile. The New Testament uses the language of slavery and exile frequently with respect to sin. We're no longer slaves to sin if we're in Christ, but we're slaves to Christ and free to pursue His righteousness. 
So like those people who've returned to Jerusalem, we too are those that God has brought out of exile. And the question is, what are we going to do with His deliverance? Are we going to squander it? Are we going to use it for His pleasure and His glory? As He describes in verse 8, Go up on the mountains and rebuild the temple that I may be pleased with it and glorified. Are we going to use our deliverance from exile for the glory of God? Or are we going to waste it and say it's not yet time to build? You see, to to live as the people that God has brought out of exile, we must not put off God's work. We see that in verses 2 through 11 of chapter 1. We must hear from our God and fear the Lord. And we must build God's temple right now in full assurance of His presence and His provision. First, we must not put off God's work. God doesn't miss an opportunity to make His point. The beginning of the month, the first day of the month, in verse 1 we find that that the word comes on the first day of the month, was a a time of Sabbath-like celebration for the people of God as they're remembering God's past provision and anticipating greater things to come. So here they are gathered together to worship, but they're not in a temple because there's no temple to be found. The temple hadn't been built. And and here's what God seems to be saying. Don't come together for yet another festival and another celebration of my power and my provision and my deliverance in your life when there's there's a temple that lays unfinished. Consider your ways, church. There's there's work to do. There's a temple to be extended and to be built. Don't be a church that just comes and sits in a pew for an hour on Sunday morning and then goes home with no regard to the temple and the desire of God to create a people for Himself that goes from sea to shining sea and to the ends of the earth. Consider your ways, North Roanoke. In verse 2 of chapter 1, we find these words. Thus says the Lord of hosts, this people says, the time has not come. The time has not come for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. Perhaps we can put off till tomorrow what we could be doing today. Why is it that we so often delay? Why do we delay? Let's just face it, we like to delay. Why do we delay? I submit to you first, it's because we doubt God's power. Oh, He saved my wicked, twisted, corrupt heart, but He's not really doing that anymore. Look around at the world, watch the news. God's just apparently not there. He's not working in the world. We doubt God's power, which might be why 14 times Haggai uses the words, Lord of hosts. He says He is the God Almighty. He is the Lord who controls the hosts, the angels. He's the God of angel armies. Fourteen times in two chapters, He calls God the God of all power. Don't forget the God who brought you out of Egypt. Don't forget the God who brought you back out of Babylon. And certainly don't forget the God who came down out of heaven and went to a cross to deliver you from the curse of sin and death. He delivered you from that. He is the God of all power. Stop Delay because you doubt God's power. But secondly, when push comes to shove, in our flesh, we prefer personal comfort to the sacrificial work of kingdom advance. We prefer, we have to battle this church. Our default setting is, what does Daniel Palmer want? What's going to make Daniel Palmer happy? 
What's going to make me comfortable? What's going to make me the most at ease? When push comes to shove, we prefer our personal comforts to the sacrificial work of kingdom advance. Which is why Haggai says, it is time for you yourselves who are dwelling in your paneled houses to get busy. He says, you yourselves in verse 4, because he wanted to emphasize that it's the problem's not with God, the problem's not with the world out there, the problem's not with everything that's going on in the world, the problem is with you yourselves. He didn't need to say yourselves, he could have just said you. But he said, you yourselves. Come on, Haggai, back off a little bit. Give me a break. And what he's saying is, you yourselves prefer comfort to the advance of the kingdom. John Piper says it this way, Haggai is explaining to us why everything seems to go sour in your life. You ever had a season of life like that? Why nothing fully satisfies you. When you spend your resources for comfort and security in this world, rather than spending yourself for the glory of God, you can count on being disappointed, he said. The restored community of God was struggling to establish itself politically. It was suffering economically after the Babylonian exile. They had every excuse in the book not to go all in for the temple and for the glory of God. Their degree of self-sufficiency wasn't what it was before they were exiled. And they considered it unwise to divert their already meager resources for the sake of investing in a high-profile campaign such as rebuilding Yahweh's temple. Haggai, you know what it's like. You know what happened in 2008 when the stock market crashed and my housing value went in the tank and you know that that I've just got to wait for tomorrow to do the work that God's called us to do because I have all these excuses and yet Haggai the prophet rebuked his audience for their preoccupation with their own standard of living says the commentator Andrew Hill I want to tell you a brief story about giving for the progress of the gospel and the the upbuilding of God's people. I used to be a fundraiser at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, and there's a man whose last name is on many of the buildings around campus. He was a multi, 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 multi-millionaire. He inherited most of his wealth, but then he began to work hard with it on his own, and he made an unwise investment. He didn't know it was unwise because he didn't know 2008 was coming. But it... It literally unraveled. It it set off a firestorm of unraveling his financial capacity. Now, this is a man who had given millions of dollars to our seminary. He had built buildings and established scholarships. And I was taking a walk with him around our campus, ministering to him, telling him how, how thankful we were for all that he had done, for all the impact that he had made. And then I said something that didn't quite come out the way I intended it to, but I basically said, I wish there was a way we could give all your money back to you so that your financial losses could be reversed, so that you'd be okay, so that your wife would be all right. And he looked me square in the eyes. 
And he said, don't you ever say that to me again. This is the only investment that I still have. I wish I had given more. Reminds me of Matthew chapter 6. Don't lay up treasures where moth and rust destroy. Lay up treasures in heaven where they never, ever perish. You see, a Christian who lives with one foot in the world and one in the kingdom will never enjoy the true riches that God intends for them to have, which is why in verse 6 we keep reading the words, not enough, not enough, not enough. When we pursue what the world offers, it's never, ever, ever enough. In verse 7, Haggai repeats the command as if we may have missed it. Consider your ways. Then in verse 8, he commands to rebuild the temple. Go get some wood on those mountains where you had been practicing idolatry. Go get that wood and bring it down to rebuild the temple. In verses 9 through 11, he tells us the reason that our efforts come to little, verse 9, is because God is too gracious to let us prosper while claiming to know God and leaving the work of God till tomorrow. North Roanoke, as long as we say we know God, we love God, we exist for the glory of God, and we keep cheating on God and pushing His work down the road while we live in our paneled houses, while we have a perfectly good dwelling, but God is not yet dwelling with the men that He wants to dwell with through the work of North Roanoke Baptist Church, we ought to consider our ways because it is going to be such that our our labor will be limited. It will be like we're putting our money into purses with holes. Where did it go? It's never enough. Because God tells us in verse 11, He will send a drought on even the labor of our hands if our labor is misdirected. Why? Because God's house lies desolate, verse 9b, while each of us runs to our own House. You know, some of you have been waiting for an excuse, North Roanoke, to get started on living and giving for the kingdom. And I want to give us an opportunity. It's coming on August the 7th. We're going to call it Take the Plunge Sunday. It's scary to get serious about sacrificial giving, isn't it? But over and over again in the Minor Prophets, they keep hitting this theme. I was praying through Haggai this week, and I was like, I can't believe I'm going to talk about giving again. It's, but it's been in every single prophet. I can't get away from it. So, so I was like, what can we do as a church to say, Lord, we want to be serious about this. August the 7th, give you a few weeks to think about it. I don't know if you've ever been sitting in a, in a pew like I have when a preacher's been preaching, and the Spirit of God gives me a number that's crazy, and then I want to stuff it down. But this is not about... Please give 10% Sunday. This is, what is the Spirit of God leading you to do? Maybe you're a never giver and He wants you to get started. Maybe you're a 10 percenter and He's telling you to go for 15. But whatever it is, the, the Spirit of God lays on your heart between this day and August the 7th to say, God, I, I want to I show to you and to myself that I exist for your kingdom, not for my personal comfort. So on Sunday, August the 7th, We're going to go all in together. We're just going to jump off the cliff, take the plunge, and see if God is good on His promise that He has all the gold and all the silver and that He'll take care of His people as He advances His kingdom. So that's what take the plunge is. Why else did they delay? There's one more reason. They doubted God's power. 
They prize their personal comfort over the progress of the gospel and the building of the temple. But there's one more reason. They wanted the new temple to be as good as the last temple. We saw that in chapter 2. Chapter 2, he goes, you're looking around. Who's left that saw Solomon's temple and how amazing it was? And some of us never get started again because God did something amazing back when. And we're afraid that it won't be as good. You know, it's like having children. How many people have you met said, well, well, when are y'all going to have kids? Well, we're not ready yet. Well, when is that going to happen? Well, we, we just get a, need to get our bank account up to a certain amount. We need to have a house that has this many rooms. We need to have this or that or this in place. And then you know what? Somehow there's a baby coming and they weren't thinking that a baby was coming and a baby's on the way. And suddenly, the baby's in the world and guess what? The baby's eating and it's doing what babies do in terms of filling diapers and somehow diapers are bought and formulas bought and doctor's visits are had and they make it work. And we cannot be this way about the temple of God. We cannot keep saying, well, one day we'll build up the temple. One day we'll be the people of God and spread the kingdom to the ends of the earth. It's, it's time to go now. Satan wants us to live a defeated life of delay. And he'll give us every reason in the book to do it. God's not powerful enough. My comfort's more important. Or I want to... I want to wait until it can be amazing or until I'm perfectly ready, whatever that means. He wants us to live a defeated life of a delay. Let me show you the life cycle of a Christian who lives a defeated life of delay. Well, I'm just a teenager. What can I do? i got to wait till I'm an adult because that's what the church told me. I don't really have any value or contribution here. I go up on the student floor and do my own thing and I come down to worship, but I'm just a kid. Well, I'm just finishing college. I've got to get my career off to a good start. What can I do? I've got to go all in at my career. Well, I just got married and I've got to get to know my wife or my husband and establish ourselves. We've got some building and some saving to do. What can I do? Well, now we have young kids and they are very time consuming and keep us up all hours of the night and I'm dead dog tired and I'm balancing work and kids and marriage and I'm failing at all three, what can I do? Well, now my kids are suddenly grown and they've got to go to college and I've got to figure out a way to get them through college. And also, by the way, I haven't really been able to save much for retirement because my kids were young and they were expensive. And so now I've got to figure out how I'm going to retire and live in old age. What can I do? Well, I finally have a little time and a little money for myself. And I finally get to do the things that I deserve to do. Why are you asking me to do anything? Well, Pastor, I'm homebound. I can't get out much. Thanks for coming to see me. What can I do? The final prayer has been prayed. The casket's been closed. The pallbearers have taken their boot and errors and laid them on the casket. 
what can I do? Satan wants us to live a defeated life of delay. Secondly, not only do we just need to start where we are, secondly, we must hear from our Lord and fear Him. In verse 12, Haggai, we, rather, in verse 12, we find that though his sermon was addressed to the leadership, to Zerubbabel and to Joshua, we find that all the remnant of the people are obedient in this process, that they obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai, and then we find that the people showed reverence for the Lord, or that they feared Him. The word for obey is also the word for listen or to hear. In our household, when we're talking to our children about obedience, we don't just say, please obey, are you obeying? We say, listen and obey. Hear what I'm saying and then execute. And this is what the people of God, not just the leadership, but all the people in response to Haggai's sermon, they listened to what God said. They didn't just hear another sermon. And this is my plea for us this morning, North Roanoke, is that you won't just hear another sermon. Wow, that was good. Yes, that's right. Satan wants me to live a defeated life of delay. I'm going to take note of that for this week. And then next week, I'm going to start living a defeated life of delay all over again. And I'm going to say, wow, what a great sermon. That's not what they did. They heard it. They processed it. They felt it in their core. And they feared the Lord afresh. They said, God Almighty, the Lord of hosts, is on the move. He wants to do something in my time with me and my people. And it's time for us to build. Sometimes we stop at listening. But truly hearing from God mixed with real fear and reverence for who God is always leads us to work and to build for His good pleasure and for His glory. Finally, if we're going to be the people of God that He wants us to be, those who've been delivered from exile, we must work to build God's temple now in full assurance of His presence and His provision. And if there were time, we could preach the rest of chapter 2 and also say, in full assurance of the purity that only Christ can give, sealed in victory by the Davidic Son, which is represented by Zerubbabel. There's not time to cover that today, so you're going to have to come on Wednesday night when we cover the second half of chapter 2. We must work to build God's temple now in full assurance of His presence and His provision. We know that the people of God obeyed because of what we find in verse 14. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And what they do? They came and they worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. Andrew Hill notes that they obeyed heartily because they had been startled awake by the voice of God. The word for stirring means to rouse from a slumber, to awaken them, to incite them, to startle them awake. Here's the reality, North Roanoke. I can preach every Sunday. I can pour my heart out in preparation, and I can give you my very best week in and week out. But unless the Lord stirs us up and stirs within us, 
it'll come to nothing. Unless God meets us in the hearing of His Word, unless the Spirit of God begins to work within His people, it will come to nothing. But I praise God. I know the Lord is stirring among His people, renewing our desire to come and work. And I know it because of the comments that I've received from so many of you about, I can't wait. I want to get started. What are we going to do? And I'm not entirely sure what we're going to do, but I'm praying and thinking about it right now. But we're going to do some things that are going to be different, and we're going to trust God to help us change our city and our valley for the glory of Christ in Jesus' name. Here's the deal. We come and work, but God has to stir within. It's a divine mystery, but Paul speaks of it this way. Just as you've always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, because it's God who's at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. What does that mean? It means that God has told us to go work out what He's working in. All the credit and the praise and the glory goes to God. He's the divine enabler and the divine actor, but we still must work. The, The words come and work show us that obedience goes beyond mere mental abstraction and is evidenced in a demonstrable act. What does that mean? It means that obedience is more than thinking, more than feeling. It's going and working in Jesus' name. But did you notice the work did not begin until 23 days after the sermon? There in verse 15. It took them 23 days. Why? Why did it take 23 days? Well, they had to get their ducks in a row. It was a construction project. Got to get the logistics right. Lynn Vernon would appreciate that it took them 23 days to get this going because they had to get their ducks in a row and he understands planning and logistics. So so here's my point to you this morning, North Roanoke. I'm not entirely sure yet. I've got some ideas exactly where God is leading us to go. But don't lose heart as we pray together as a congregation and look towards fall about putting some boots on the ground with some concrete ideas about going in Jesus' name. We are going to go in Jesus' name. Now, a word about the temple. You say, Daniel, you're, you're talking about the second temple of, in Jerusalem. What in the world does that have to do with the church? Well, it has everything to do with the church. Because the temple is now Christ's presence. We learn in John chapter 2, verse 19 through 21, when he's questioned, he says, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. And the Jews said, it took 46 years to build this temple. Jesus And you'll raise it up in three days? And Jesus says, but he was speaking about his body. Well, now that Christ has been crucified and raised and ascended, where do we find Christ's body? It's the local church, the temple that we're called to build. What does Paul say? According to the grace of God which was given to me, listen to this, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells among you? Where do we find the presence of God tabernacled among His people in a special way in which the people who come in and enter can feel and know the Spirit of God and know that they are sinners before a holy God who He has purposed to save. It is in the local church. 
We are to be building this community and extending this community for the pleasure of God and the glory of Christ until He comes. For too long, we've read our Old Testaments and fixed our eyes on the Middle East while we should be following our already conquering King. The temple of greater and latter glory that's promised in chapter 2 is already here. You are sitting in it. For when the Lamb comes, the temple is no more. It's time to stop looking to the physical city of Jerusalem and to start being the people of God who are Jerusalem, revealed in Revelation in the last days as those who have known the Prince of Peace. And because we know the Prince of Peace, we can be Jerusalem, the house of peace, to people who are defeated in their very lives this very hour. That is our charge, to work together in strategic and spirit-led ways to expand the temple until the heaven that we now inhabit. Paul says we are now citizens of heaven. Until that heaven becomes visible. And with John we can say, I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. When we do this, When we build in Jesus' name, when we build up the church in Jesus' name, we are promised His presence and His provision. In verse 13, look what it says. I am with you, declares the Lord. Verse 4, take courage, Zerubbabel. Take courage, Joshua. Take courage, all the people of the land, and work. Why? I am with you, declares the Lord. We can be strong and courageous like Joshua who was entering the promised land because Christ has come and He's given us His Holy Spirit. He's given us His presence and His power to conquer and to take the land in Jesus' name. I don't know about you, but do you not hear echoes of the Great Commission? I am with you. All authority is mine. And it's been given to you. To go to the ends of the earth in Jesus' name. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. As we make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all that He has commanded. And baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We are building the temple of God. And the Spirit of God is promised in this text to meet us on the way. You say, well, I don't feel the Spirit of God in my life. I I long for 1982 when I was driving down the road listening to that sweet song, People Need the Lord, and and I just, I need that healing feeling again. You want the healing feeling of the Spirit of God, then go work and build in Jesus' name. Come together as the people of God and expand His temple to the ends of the earth in Jesus' name, and the Spirit of God will meet you there. That's the promise of Haggai. Let me ask you this question. If we could see right now who is standing among us, if we could see the Lord of hosts standing in our midst as He's promised to be, what would we be attempting that we've not yet attempted? I don't know what that is in your life. But I'll tell you what, North Roanoke, as I dream about what's possible, as I, as I think about what's possible in this valley, knowing that the Lord God Almighty is in our midst, I can't, I about bust. Because He is standing in our midst. We don't need to delay any longer. We can go in Jesus' name and build the temple for His pleasure and for His glory. But secondly, we're promised God's provision. 
Haggai returns to the question of resources. What if we run out of money? What about hard times? Don't we need, don't we need to hedge a little bit? Let's be wise. To, to these doubts, God declares in verse 8, the silver's mine and the gold is mine. Let me ask another question, North Roanoke. If we could see the resources that God has available for His people who are working on His temple, wouldn't we release more for the work? If we could see that it all comes from God and He never runs out of resources, what would we not give for the sake of His great name? But more than money, God promises His glorious presence. Though the second temple, verse 3 of chapter 2, seemed like nothing in comparison to Solomon's temple, Haggai promises us it will be filled with greater glory and it will be the place where He gives peace. Verse 9. You see, when the desire of nations... Now, many of you in verse 7, it says uh, the treasure or the wealth of all nations, but the, the word really is desire. When the desire of nations comes, you remember that, that hymn, Desire of Nations Come? When the desire of nations comes into the temple, something greater will be at the temple than the temple itself. Now, when Jesus comes to the temple as a little boy, and he's listening to the scribes and the Pharisees teach the word, guess what? Something greater than the temple was in the temple. When Jesus walked into the temple and he overturned the money changers' tables and they said, by what authority do you do this? Jesus says, I tell you, someone greater than the temple is here because it's God Almighty in the flesh tabernacling, templing the presence of God for all of us. And it is through this king who leads us out of exile, which incidentally Zerubbabel means the seed out of exile. The, the seed who leads us out of exile has come, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Joshua who becomes high priest, whose name means salvation. Salvation himself is Jesus Christ who makes intercession to God on our behalf. We have seen the greater glory than any temple that was ever built in Jerusalem. We have seen His glory when the Spirit of God convicted us of our sin and showed us a pathway of grace and salvation and He converted our hearts and made us alive to the presence of a holy God. We have known the greater glory and we will yet see the greater glory for all eternity. You see, North Roanoke, in a world that longs for something glorious, we already know the King of glory. In a world yearning for peace, we know the Prince of Peace. In a world torn apart by sin, we know the one whose blood washes us clean and makes us a supernatural family in a superficial world. In a world longing for a righteous ruler, we know God's chosen King. In a world devoid of the knowledge of God's presence, He dwells in our midst even now. God did not save us just to get us to heaven. He saved us to get heaven into us so that we might take heaven to the rest of the watching world. Let's not delay North Roanoke. We don't have to live this defeated life of delay any longer. Let's hear, let's fear, and let's build until He comes. Would you pray with me? Our Father and our God, 
when you saved us, you didn't take us. You left us. I pray, Holy Spirit of God, that you would move among us, that you would direct our steps, that you would order our steps in our days, that you would help us find, find the lanes that you have for North Roanoke Baptist Church in which we can make a difference in the name of Christ and for his glory, and that people would be saved and that they would become a part of your temple to the ends of the earth, and that would you come that heavenly city of Jerusalem filled with myriads and myriads and myriads of people would be revealed. And the only temple that would be there is the one that we crave and that we prize and we delight in, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb slain for us. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.